Today, we will be speaking with Josie Little. She'll get us started with an introduction about herself, then we'll jump to the talk about intellectual property rights in Russia following its invasion on Ukraine. Hope you enjoy the talk. Hi, my name is Josie Little. I am a 3L at the University of Pennsylvania Cary Law School. And in the fall, I will be doing patent litigation as an associate for a law firm in Boston. I recently published a paper entitled Russia: The Weaponization of Intellectual Property, which discusses the actions that Russia has taken since its invasion of Ukraine with regards to intellectual property. And you can find that paper at the University of New Hampshire IDEA website or on SSRN. What was the reaction to Russia's invasion of Ukraine by corporations who had operations in Russia? And how did Russia respond to the moves that these corporations made? So just to set the stage, on February 24th, 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine. And in the aftermath, there were sanctions, but there were also companies that voluntarily stopped doing business in Russia. And the Yale School of Management has done a great job of tracking this. So just a few months later in April, over 500 companies had either withdrawn or suspended activity in Russia. And currently that number has grown to over a thousand companies, foreign companies, which have chosen to curtail business to some extent in Russia. Although it is important to note that there are still hundreds of companies that still do business in Russia. But that doesn't actually tell the full picture of what has been happening with the Russian economy because Russia has been fairly successful in evading sanctions and getting around the effect of these company closures through a system called Parallel Imports. So what Parallel Imports does is it allows Russia to import a product if it has been legally sold somewhere else in the world. It doesn't matter where that is. And that is basically their workaround. So consider Apple. Apple is not sending their iPhones to Russia anymore. But what we have observed is that there's been a very large increase in the imports of Apple products to countries like Armenia. And it is believed that Armenia is one of the countries that will funnel iPhones into Russia. And there has been a similar pattern for other products, such as chips for semiconductors, which are relevant to weapons, where it's been documented that Armenia and Kazakhstan are supplying Russia with semiconductors, even though because of sanctions or other reasons, they're not supposed to be able to get them. Prior to the war, why were intellectual property rights in Russia already in a dangerous situation? 
So I wouldn't necessarily say that they were in a dangerous position. I would say they were in a precarious position where it was almost like it could have gone either way prior to the invasion of Ukraine. So this precarious position was noted by the United States Trade Representative. And in 2020, years before the invasion of Ukraine, the U.S. Trade Representative put Russia on a list of trading partners that raised the most concern regarding intellectual property rights. And a particular area of concern has always been, or not always, but it's been some form of piracy, and now it's online piracy. But the 2021 report from the U.S. Trade Representative noted that there actually had been some progress with how Russia was enforcing intellectual property rights. So in 2013, they changed their laws so that they would calculate the fines for trademark infringements in a way that reflected the value of the goods being sold. And in 2014, Russia allowed courts to issue permanent injunctions for repeat copyright infringers. And Russia also created a dedicated court for intellectual property rights. But at the same time, or shortly thereafter, rather, Russia began to pass laws that undermined intellectual property protection. And in 2020, Russia passed a law that gave its domestic legislation priority over any international agreements. And that has a big implication for the enforcement of IP rights because of something called TRIPS. TRIPS is the trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights that com countries have to adhere to for trade purposes. And so one of the pillars of TRIPS is national treatment. So Russia is not supposed to treat the holders of IP rights from other countries any differently than it does for the enforcement of IP rights for Russian nationals. So with that legislation, Russia sort of opened the door to undermining its commitment to TRIPS. And there were also Russian court cases that undermined the enforcement of intellectual property rights. So in 2008, Russian courts started to change their stance on parallel imports. Parallel imports are related to intellectual property because a certain good like an iPhone, there are patents attached to that. Um, there's copyright, there's design patents. And so you're not supposed to, or you were not supposed to import those goods without the permission of the IP owner. And formerly, um, Russia had laws that said the good had to be legally imported specifically into Russia with the consent of the IP owner, or it would be treated similarly to a counterfeit good where it could just be destroyed. But the Russian courts began to interpret their laws, so that was not necessarily the case in all instances. 
So you see that opening of the door to um, softening their enforcement on intellectual property rights. In your work, you mentioned that one of the earliest legal actions that Russia took was a court ruling published on March 3rd, 2022. Can you break down the content of this ruling and what its implications were? Sure. So I was referring to the Peppa Pig case. In case your listeners are not familiar, Peppa Pig is a British cartoon character who is very popular among children, but it became very relevant to legal observers of what was happening in Russia. So prior to the invasion of Ukraine, Entertainment One, which is a Western company, um, which owns the Peppa Pig characters, sued a Russian national for about $500 for trademark infringement of the Peppa Pig and the Daddy Pig cartoon characters. It's interesting to note that at first, Entertainment One was successful in securing a judgment against the Russian national, but things changed once Russia invaded Ukraine and Russia became subject to a lot of sanctions. So after the invasion of Ukraine, a judge threw out the case and he specifically cited American and British sanctions against Russia as the reason for why he did so. And that case is very important because it created a lot of fear that restriction of IP rights was going to become a wartime strategy uh, in Russia and that potentially um, IP rights were useless or maybe the courts were going to be ordered to rule similarly to this Peppa Pig decision and Western companies wouldn't have any recourse in Russian courts. And so I was very interested in following the outcome of that case because there was all of this apprehension attached to it. And the outcome is that an appellate court reversed a few months later. And in reversing, they noted that, yes, the Russian national infringed the trademarks, which is when um, you create confusion. Um, but they also noted Russia's commitment to protecting intellectual property rights as part of its participation in international treaties. And so that suggests to me, um, and there are some other court cases that came out similarly, that it may be possible to protect your IP rights in Russia at this point in time, um, but it may take some persistence. And aside from this one case that you mentioned is sort of like the first step uh, in these uh, intellectual property rulings, what have been some of the other significant laws or moves that the Russian government has made following the invasion of Ukraine related to intellectual property rights? I would say that parallel import legislation has been very important because it's something that Russia enacted 
and it published a list of all of these goods that were subject to parallel imports. And so that makes it easier to observe and it potentially opens the door to a very permissive attitude with regards to trade. So there have been, there's been at least one instance where a company imported goods into Russia where the good wasn't on this official parallel imports list. And that was um, Coca-Cola products. And I believe Coca-Cola um, has sought legal recourse. But I think that's very um, interesting in a very significant way because it is how they are propping up their economy. Your listeners may know that post the invasion of Ukraine, there was a lot of inflation in Russia. Um, the ruble was losing its value. So it was a very delicate economic situation. But when you have this parallel import system, it's very basic economics. You add more competition to the market. You lower the prices. Um so that has been something that has helped prop up their economy um, while it's going through these sanctions and voluntary company closures. In your work, you mentioned that maybe the most controversial development affecting intellectual property is still in the draft stages. Can you break down the content of this uh, of this development um, and also the next steps that Russia, that you believe Russia will take regarding intellectual property? This law is what Russia calls external management. And a lot of outside observers would simply call it nationalization. And it is Russia's response to the exit of these foreign companies, which I have previously mentioned. And so what it does is that if a company is considered essential to the Russian economy and its management consists of maybe 25% of nationals from countries that have sanctioned Russia and then that company exits, then Russia would have the right to take it over similarly to a bankruptcy and it would be able to sell its assets. And that would include the intellectual property assets. So it's important to note that as far as I'm aware, this legislation is yes, still a draft and has not been enacted quite yet. Now, how would the result of the Russia-Ukraine war affect the sort of further development of like the re restriction of intellectual property rights in Russia? So there's a risk that Russia is publicizing these draft laws as a threat of what it will do or would do um, if the war drags on. So there's definitely a risk that the external management 
law would actually be enacted and that would jeopardize the future of business relations in Russia because companies won't want to invest if they think that their property, including their intellectual property, would just be seized by Russia. And that is a departure from what is happening currently, where it seems, at least anecdotally, that it is possible for exiting companies to work out some sort of deal with Russia. So um, some companies like Ken Ross have received compensation from Russia when they have sought to exit the company um, where they've been allowed to sell their assets. Other companies like the French car company Renault um, received a symbolic payment of one ruble when they sold their company to Russia, but it included the option to buy back their companies in a few years. And in one of the examples that inspired my paper, McDonald's left Russia in a deal where it allowed a former franchise owner to take over um, about 800 McDonald's locations that were in Russia. And McDonald's may not have received any compensation, but they did retain their right to their intellectual property. So if the external management was enacted, it's possible that um, some of these companies that are trying to leave Russia completely wouldn't receive any compensation or that they would risk the loss of their assets, such as intellectual property. So that is regarding external management. But there is another law called Decree Number 299 that Russia has publicized that um, is basically a compulsory licensing system for patents. But the twist here is that the law would only, it would offer the patentee 0% compensation. So a patent owner would get absolutely no money um, for the infringement of their patent if they were from a country that has sanctioned Russia. I am not currently able to determine if or how Decree number 299 has been used, but it certainly seems like if Russia wanted to put more pressure on its critics, that it could enact or it could act on decree number 299 in a very public way, and that would be a very antagonistic action.